The following sermon is brought to you by thepreachersvault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. Appreciate you being back this evening, all of you that are here. I know that there are uh, many who have been out of town and, and proceeding and getting their way back and such, and we miss them, but nonetheless, we're here for God's purpose, so we can open our Bibles. If you want to grab them, go ahead and open them in the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2 is where we're going to be in just a moment. Um, when I left the house this morning, uh, in my mind at least, I came somewhat prepared to teach from the book of Philippians, which we did. Albeit we weren't exactly where I thought we needed to be, but we, we got through a few verses, made a few hopefully good applications there. And then my intent was to speak, as we did, from Matthew chapter, seven, or chapter 5 and verse 13. And the assumption as I went home today and even part of the way traveling back today was we would pick up there in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. Of course, you're very familiar with that text as well. This morning we were the salt of the earth. This evening we would have been the light of the world and then like I always try to do if I'm alone at least if I'm not if I got the kids as a different mindset I have to put on just one of those block everything out and focus moments but uh, if I'm by myself like I am this evening my family stayed back to worship locally uh, but uh, I like to either uh, listen to what I would call congregational gospel singing there's a lot of resources for that and I enjoy that and uh, even when I sing nobody in the car cares because it's just me uh, but uh, either that and or, oftentimes I'll just listen to the Bible. You know, got these audio Bibles, easy access to that. And that's most commonly what I do, particularly the last, depending on where I'm driving, might be the last hour, it might be the last three hours. And uh, as I was doing that, I decided that rather than what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about what I wrote down in the parking lot out here. So we'll, we'll go in honor of you, David. How about that? Uh, but uh, 2 Timothy happened to be a part of what I was listening to. At least it landed that way. I went through 1 Timothy, ended up in 2 Timothy. And by the time I got to chapter 2, I was tempted to pull over the grocery store back down there in Piedmont. And I didn't. I chose to just come on up. But nonetheless, this is a passage that, much like all of the writings of Paul, and particularly these two letters, obviously, uh, Paul speaks from a very special perspective. One, he speaks from experience. This is a man who did not just preach the gospel, as we would often say. He would practice what he preached. And he would go about in many, many places in extreme difficulties and, and pain and sorrow and all that he would deal with emotionally. Paul would continue to stand. He would continue to preach. And he would continue to be motivated by nothing more than the gospel of Christ. And so you won't find Paul you know, telling great stories or trying to entertain or anything like that, I don't suppose. Paul was always just to the point... He got down to the gospel. He told the people what they needed to hear. And if that resulted in him being, you know, lifted up and invited back, so be it. If it resulted in him being cast into prison or thrown out of town, he did exactly the same thing. So he wasn't there to win a popularity contest. He wasn't there to, you know, try to impress. And matter of fact, he told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that he wasn't the most impressive speaker. He knew there were more talented men, but he also knew the cause for which he preached. And so with that being said, I realize that the Apostle Paul, when he comes down toward the latter end of his writings, and I believe the Apostle Paul started out with the Thessalonian letters, went on to maybe the letters to the Romans and the Galatians, and, and you could name those off, but we do know that his concluding letter seems to be this second epistle that he would write to Timothy. 
And so every time I read this or listen to it and read it slash like I did a minute ago, I'm reminded of the fact that these were some of, if not the, uh, final words the Apostle Paul would ever pen. And yes, he was inspired of God to do that. And yes, he had you know, the, the power of God to do that. And yes, he carried with him the authority of God to do that. But you can see in all of Paul's writings that he always came forth and God always allowed him to do so. I think always the other writers would as well, John and Peter and such. But God always seemingly used the mind and the capability and the emotion of these men to bring out his word through his power. And so if you look at it that way, we've got the Apostle Paul writing his final letter uh, to one of his greatest friends in the world, obviously, companions, cohorts, sidekicks, whatever you want to put with that, in Timothy. And being that he's writing his last letter, he's potentially speaking some of the last words he would ever order, uh, utter, even if it will be by pen, to Timothy. And I think you would realize just in that, that there are oftentimes situations where we know the last things that an individual is able to say are definitely the most important. I have an uncle, had an uncle, my dad's twin brother, Don Merle. You knew him. A few people around the area would because he had been to this area so many times. But he preached in LaGrange, Georgia, up until the point he died many, many years, died of cancer. But I can remember the last maybe two months, three months that he lived, he had uh, some children that were not exactly... Uh, serving God as they should, they're unfaithful, uh, one of them at least in unfaithful relationships and all sort of things. And one of the last things he did, he directed his wife to uh, call everybody he knew in the family. That included me and my brother and my daddy and his daughters particularly and everyone. And all he asked her to do was to get them over to the house and to send them back to the bedroom and to lock the door. And I'll tell you what, what he said to who, whoever he said it, I'm not sure. But I know the words he uttered were important. And I know that by the reactions and by the actions of some things that were taken by some family members, he obviously told them the truth. And he made them think about their soul and their salvation. And he kind of brought to light some of the things they needed to work on. And I don't think that was a human quality in him. I think that was a, a spiritual quality that he had. And uh, I think about him when I read this and that considering that the Apostle Paul is writing to one of his greatest friends and companions in the world and he tells him some things that he's absolutely sure he needs to hear. So let's read here. Uh, we'll go down as far as we can for time's sake. Again, keeping my dyslexia and uh, other things in mind as we read. So if you see a different word than me, I didn't mean to misquote, but we'll, write, we'll read together anyway. 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. You're familiar with many of these verses, I know. But here Paul writes through inspiration. He said, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man warreth entangled himself in the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him as a soldier. Verse 5. If any man also strive for the masteries, or it's an athletic type of term, yet, him, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully? The husbandman or the laborer, the farmer that laboreth, must, find, must be first a partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say. Now, this is one of the keys we'll get to later, hopefully. 
Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Now, some translations actually say, in all these things. And I think if the King James were to say that, it would be very accurate in such. The Greek actually says the same. Be thou in thankful or in remembrance of all these things. So the reference, just like a therefore we talked about this morning, is going to look up the page and sometimes look down the page, and that's what he'll end up doing. Verse 8, he continues to add to that. He said, Remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may obtain also the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It, it, is, a, it is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, and he cannot deny himself. Verse 14, of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. And if you want to read the rest of the chapter, you'll find out many occasions, the next chapter or two as well, many occasions when Paul continues to come back to Timothy and say, look, get your focus right, get your mind right, be prepared for whatever battle lies ahead, it's time to stand up. And that's basically the gist of this second letter. But I want you to notice a few things here. I don't know that I've got a title. I didn't write one on my Actually, it was a used sticky note on the back of my used sticky and I didn't write that. I don't know what you would call this other than these are the last words or some of the last words of God. You say, wait a minute, you said a minute ago some of the last words of Paul. No, some of the last words of God as far as what he would use the penman Paul to write to his son in the faith, Timothy. So he inspired these. These are written there. But I want to notice a couple things with you. First of all, look in verse 1. In the very beginning of this, he starts out and he says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, if you want to put some headings over this, you can look at it and say, well, verses 1 through 7. By the way, this morning I talked a lot about Greek paragraphs and, and how we can discover those sometimes with headings in our Bibles. Verses 1 through 7 is one sentence or paragraph, you might refer to it, in the Greek language. So that's basically the way we can view this. Verses 1 through 7, Paul's going to tell Timothy something that he needs to know. And we see exactly what that is. That's the idea or the command of being strong. So 1 through 7, I've got the command. If you go forward in that, verses 8 through 14, where we read, and if we get to this, you know, good for me or good for us or whatever. But second to that, you want to see in verses 8 through 14, which is another paragraph, connected to the first, notice the commencement of how this is done. Because so many times in Scripture, and I brought this one in just so I could hold it up every now and then. I've got my New Testament here. But so many hundreds and hundreds of times in Scripture, Old and New Testament as well, you're going to find the one single command of God, and that is to be strong, to be strong, to be strong, to be strong. 
And that all sounds well and good, and we're all mindful of that, and oftentimes we try to encourage one another with that. I know I've done it. I've received that from others. Well, somebody will say, you know, I'm going, I know you're going through a hard time. I know your health is failing. I know, you know, your finances are this, and we'll give all sort of reasons. I know you're, you're sad over the loss of this loved one, but what you need to do is keep in mind of God, and you need to be strong. Those are truthful words. Those are right words, but they're not easy words. Even back when you first think about it, not the first time it was ever said, but at least for me, the first time I think about those words being said is back in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9. It gets repeated several more times throughout that book. But one of the first things that Joshua is told to do, he starts out in verse 1, God's telling Joshua, look, that Moses, my servant, is dead. Meaning that he's, he's dead, he's gone. Yes, he was a great leader. Yes, he was a great man. Yes, he was called of me. But right now, Joshua, these are your people. You're the one that's got to lead this nation. You're the one that's got to stand up and quote verse 9, be strong and of good courage. A little bit later down the page, be strong and very courageous. Again, that sounds wonderful and it is absolutely true. But when someone's lying in a hospital bed dying or when someone is, you know, facing an empty, an empty house because of the loss of someone or when someone is, is dealing with that spouse that's just basically on top of them throwing up their hands and walking away saying, I never loved you before or, or any of those relationships or any of those difficulties come up, it's all good to say, be strong now, be strong. It's a lot harder to do it. So that's what I was going over in my mind as I was driving up and as it got down to this chapter, I kept thinking, you know what? I don't know about you. I know the issues in my life. I know the problems in my life. And I know how many times I've been told or told myself that when what Paul does here to Timothy is he writes to him with that first phrase here in verse 1, Thou therefore, my son, be strong. But he doesn't just leave it at that. The beautiful thing about Paul, of course, being inspired to do it, is that when Paul says, be strong, he can in turn illustrate what that means, and he can also direct him into how to accomplish that. And that's really the rest of these verses, verse 1 through 14. What he's commanded to do versus what he commences to do. How is it made possible? So look at the way he just starts out here. In verse 1, we've gotten down through the first phrase of it. Thou therefore, my son, be strong. Key word here, and I've got this circled in my Bible. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So he sets it up by letting him know, if you're going to be strong, it's only by the grace of God that that is, that is able to be done. It's the only way it's possible. Now, I think about the grace, and you and I often define that as, you know, as, as Bible students, as Christians. We say, well, I know exactly what grace is because every you know, preacher that's passed over the hill has told us that, and I've, I've known it myself from my study. You know, grace is the unmerited favor of God. Yes, it is. But what the unmerited favor of God bears itself in, and you can check me out on this, and I, I encourage you, if you do this, you start back up here at this page or right here in the front and read through to do it. The unmerited favor of God is always expressed in one thing, and that is God's opportunity for a way of escape. That's the grace. 
You can measure all the Old Testament characters and all the, the troubles and trials they endured and all the opportunity, even the children of Israel as a whole. They go into Egypt. By the grace of God, they come out. You say, well, there it is. That was the grace, the unmerited favor of God. Yes, and he gave them nothing but an opportunity. They had a choice. They had an option. They could accept that grace or they could in turn refuse that grace. As I've traveled around and been blessed to do it, as I've traveled around different places, I'll land in somebody's house uh, one afternoon after services or something like that, and, and I can tell you hands down, because this is just the way country folks are, I don't know what, I'm going to Indiana in a few months, I don't know what's going to happen up there. But down here, you can't be in anyone's home very long till they come out and they step over by you and say, look, do you want something to drink? Do you want something to eat? Do you want a piece of pie? Do you want, and I'm like, Sometimes I just, I just, I don't even want it, but I say, okay, because that's, that's, I'm not going to hear the end. But if I go to anyone's home and I spend, say, a week or two weeks in your home consistently, constantly, and you come up and you offer me food and water and a bed to lay in and, and all these, you know, great, uh, what's, what's the word for it? These amenities. And I, stand, I continue to sit there on the couch and say, nope, not thirsty, not hungry, don't need to rest, don't need to... What's happening? The grace has been offered, but the grace is not being received. And so Paul is clear in what is said here in verse 1, not to just leave Timothy, in, if we might call it hanging, in a position of saying, okay, Timothy, you need to, we'll add some month for turn. You just need to man up and be strong and then cut him off. He points out here that if you're able to be strong, it'll be because of the grace of God. It'll be because you found yourself in the, we would even say this, in the graces of God to be strong. So that's the way he starts this. And then the next verse I've used for... Uh, Basically, one other reason my whole life, not wrongly, but basically one other reason, he continues there in verse 2 and says, And the things that thou hast heard among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Now, I've heard that verse for as many years as I know I've been preaching, probably before that heard the same preached, I've heard that verse, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, and they say, okay, here it is. There is the pattern of evangelism. I've even heard people, people argue about this. I don't think it's worth arguing at all. But some want to say, uh, we're going to have a, and they changed the wording through the years, but nowadays it would say, we're going to have a seminar down at our congregation, and they'll give you the dates and the times, and we're going to talk about how to evangelize. Do I see anything wrong with that? I don't see anything wrong with that. So long as whatever they say comes straight from this, I don't see a thing in the world wrong with that. But I've heard people argue that and say, well, you can have all the seminars you want. Just get up and tell the folks 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, and that's it. You need to teach others so they can teach others, and that's it. Is that a biblical um, principle? Yes. But that ain't got nothing to do with what Paul's telling Timothy. It is true. You see, it's similar to the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, a lot of people look at Proverbs, and I have too as well. They look at Proverbs and they say, well, look at there at all the promises God makes. Here's the primary one from Proverbs. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from that. And then you've got somebody sitting here 
maybe not even in a church pew by this point, but at least at one point they're sitting in a church pew, their hands are in their face, and they're just ripping themselves apart about how they did the best they could with their children, now they won't act right. And there's always somebody still going, well, you know what, if you'd have trained them up. I wouldn't say this if my young ones are here. You know what I say that? Shut up. Don't mean that by offense. It's not a promise, it's a principle. In principle, if you turn that one over and say, don't train them in the way that you go, they sure won't. But you've got to give them a fighting chance. And you've got to put faith in God that that fighting chance, the Word of God, can come around to that. I only said that and I say this. We say, there it is. That, that's, all, that's all in the world you can do with verse 2 of, of 2 Timothy is that's our principle for evangelism. It is. It is. If I don't teach her and him, then they can't teach her and him. And if God didn't teach me and me, I couldn't teach her and him and him and her. But in the context, and I'm, I'm apologizing, we didn't have time to really get the context. The context began in chapter 1 and verse 1, not in chapter 2 and verse 1. But in the context, Paul is writing to his, he calls him here, verse 1, his son in the faith who he appreciates beyond measure, who he said in verse 5 of chapter 1, I call the remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt forth in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that is in thee also. That's what he thought about Timothy. That's what he knew about Timothy. But he's also writing a letter because he has left Timothy behind. Time of writing, Timothy is in Ephesus. You say, what does Ephesus got to do with it? Ephesus and Corinth were two of the most evil, immoral, trash pits, snake pits of that first century time. Modern day, Las Vegas. And I might say that by in Las Vegas is lost. But a modern day place where the general, uh, general population and the general, um, what do you call, tourists, they came there to do one thing and one thing only. Corinth, Ephesus. And Timothy is in Ephesus. He is struggling. Remember when Paul goes into the Ephesians, as we see his record, Paul goes into the Ephesians and areas around that, and he's got to talk to them about idols. He's got to talk to them about immorality. You name the things that were going on in Corinth slash and in Ephesus, twin cities of evil. That's where Timothy is. And Paul is telling Timothy, look, I know you've got a great background, verse 5, chapter 1. I know that you are persuaded in this, and I know that you'll keep these things in remembrance. Verse 7 of chapter 1, Thou hast not given unto the spirit of fear, but of power and love and the same mind. What to be afraid of? Unfortunately, the church. Unfortunately, people that were right there in those cities. That's who you could be afraid of. That's chapter 1. There's much more between verse 7 that we just mentioned and verse, uh, chapter 2 and verse 1. But he's telling him in the context here, he said, Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You better be strong, and the only way that's possible is by the grace of God. 
And those things and the things that thou hast heard among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall teach others also. So in the context, not to take away the pattern of evangelism, but in the context, what Paul is saying is, look, you need to be strong in the grace of God. And by the way, why are you doing that? Tell somebody else. Somebody else needs that. Somebody else needs to hear that God will give you that strength. And then he proceeds. We've got the command, basically verse 1. Verse 2, we've got a little bit of encouragement that comes in there and some instruction. So we've got a command from God and instruction from, a, from a, a friend, basically. And then proceeding in verses 3, 4, 5, 6, he commences to telling them, or describing to them some great examples of how that is. And these are verses you're familiar with as well, uh, I'm sure. But let's read them, beginning of verse 3. He starts out verse 3 and 4. He said, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good, I've got this next word underlined, soldier of Jesus Christ. So the first principle he, he starts to develop with him is, look, if you're going to be strong, in the grace of God, the first thing we're going to want to see you look like is a soldier. A soldier. And, and specifically, he describes that soldier. There are many things that could be applied, but the ones that are here are the most notable. He describes that soldier, verse 4, and says, No man that warreth entangleth himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. You know, it really doesn't matter. And I, I, I've never been in the military, so I don't have the perfect understanding of this. I'll admit that, you know, right there. That's one area a lot of times I say, I got the card for that. I don't have the card for that one. But it really doesn't matter if you go back to the times of the draft or you go into the supposed times of the more volunteer type point. Of course, those were going on at the same time, I understand. But you go into kind of today where uh, you can just be, well, this ain't every reason people wouldn't do it, but. Today you can just say, I'm just a chicken. I ain't going. I mean, you just bow out. Paul tells him, you need to endure some hardness. And endure that as a good soldier. Why, Paul? Verse 4. Because the one who chose you wants you to do that. This is God's draft. This is God looking down at individuals, at people, as his children, and saying to them, look, it's time for you to do as I say. And don't be entangled in the world. The word for entangled right here, uh, no man that warreth entangleth himself in the affairs of the world. The word for entangled literally means just like it sounds. It means to be completely bound. The word would have been used in some senses to describe what we might call a modern day noose. You know, there's one thing about a noose in most cases. Once it gets its grip, there's very little you can do about it. You know, unfortunately, people commit suicide and such, and, and sometimes they'll, they'll hang themselves. And, and I don't know that everybody that's ever hung themselves just absolutely was sure that's what they want to do and committed to it, but I tell you what, they got committed. And you take someone who is being hung, like as punishment in days gone by or something like that, uh, there was often times as soon as the noose grabbed hold, that was it. You know, someone could come in for the rescue. There was too much damage. It was done. 
And he's saying here, no man can get bound up, can get noosed up, can get entangled in the affairs of this world. And so, you know, Timothy, and you, you don't notice it until you get down to verse 14 of the context when he says, of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words or to, nor to profit, but to the subverting of the hearers, he's saying, look, when people are fussing and fighting and, and, you know, bowing out and not wanting to stand up, not wanting to be strong, he said, you're not harming just yourself, you're harming, harming those around you. He talks in the next, latter part of this chapter and the next about castaways, such as Hymenaeus and Philetus, people who would, would be completely shipwrecked. Same thing in this chapter. He said, verse 26 of chapter 2, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Same ideology, same wording. And taken captive by his will. So the first thing he prescribes is, you be strong in the grace of God as a soldier. Second one here, not only as a soldier, but you know, I've got to put my alliteration S word with that now. So as a sprinter. He goes on, verse 5, he said, And no, and if, if a man also strive for the masteries, yet he has not received the crown, except he strive lawfully. Now Paul is commonly uses military and athletic terms. He just does it, he does it here, he does it in the book of Ephesians, he does it so many different times. He uses either military and or athletic terms to describe basically the war that we wage, and the fight that we are a part of, as well as the race that we run. And I don't know how many times we've said it, you've heard it before, that when you're talking about running the Christian race, you're not running a sprint as much as you're running a marathon. And it takes effort, it takes work, it takes striving. And so, and so Paul starts out here by using the example of a soldier. Why? Because we, we, we will have to endure hardness. There will be difficult days. There will be hard times. There will be times, and have been in my life, I know in many of yours as well, when, when situations seem completely impossible. Ungetoverable is my made-up word for that. When we just have to continue to put our faith in God and say, look, I can be strong and I can stand with Him. I can endure. The word for endure that was in the preceding verse, means to be put under pressure. Uh, if you wanted to illustrate it in modern terms, endurance would be being run over and parked on by a Mack truck as opposed to a Pinto. Some of you don't know what a Pinto is. Most of you do. There's a little difference there. I'm not saying I could, but I think if a Pinto ran me over, I could probably get up in a couple of minutes. Not true about a Mack truck. Endurance holding under pressure. And then in turn, that um, sprinter continuing to run. And he says specifically about him, just like he specified for the soldier, that he does it because of what he was called to do and not to be entangled with the world. Specifically, he says about this sprinter, if you will, this athlete, he says, if any man strive for the masteries, yet he is not crowned, except he strive lawfully. So, you know, we, we live in a world, unfortunately, we live in a world today, and I don't know this ever been any different. I mean, we, some of us got to discussing this morning 
in hindsight, the difficulties they had in Paul's day, and in time past, you know, how hard it would have been to live in Rome in that day. And you could say in Ephesus, like Timothy, or in Corinth, or pretty much anywhere, you know, there were times, and there have been times when persecutions have been much higher than they are now, and, and you know, immorality could have been seen to be much higher or, or lower than they are now. We're, we're coming to a peak and a crown again on both, I think. But there are things in our life today where if you take aside the immoral, the irreligious, the unreligious, there's a term that's used, I don't know that I approve of, the unchurched. If you take that literally, that just means people who never gather. I don't know that that applies as well, but the unchurched. Of that religious group, though, there will be many who'd say, look, I I serve God. I'm here to do the will of God. I mean, if God, if God wants me to be a soldier, I'll stand and I'll fight. Just wait till that man at work or uh, that woman in school or whoever. Wait till they question my faith. I'll let them have it. I'll tell them what the deal, what the deal is. I'll let, them, I'll let them know where they're wrong. And many in the religious world are of the persuasion. It seems that, you know what, if I feel it in my heart, that's the way we do it. What feels right. I told you this morning about a Bible study I've got ongoing and some of the issues I've hopefully, you know, put, put under uh, to this point with dealing with the, the gift of the Spirit and especially the speaking of tongues. But also one of the additional things that I'm continuing to, to try to allow this book to, to serve that man in is to understand that our worship particularly is not a matter of how we feel. Our salvation is not that either. You know, I, I had to ask him, you know, are you saved? And he, his reply to that, and this was way back at the earlier hours of that long study I described this morning. Uh, yeah, I feel like I am. Okay, you know what? I gave him that. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Okay. You're saved, I'm saved, we all saved. We'll take it. Now let's see what the Scripture describes. And let's ask us how we got to that place or how you got to that place. But the religious world, so it's just, uh, you know, whatever, whenever, however, I feel. When what this says is, if you're going to run that race, again, we might call it the Christian race. If you're going to run that race, you've got to do it lawfully. Last time I was here, I can tell you when I was here, whatever weekend the Chee Hall Challenge was, and we talked about several of us, I promise you, there may have been somebody. I don't know who they were, but there may have been somebody who found a shortcut. I think they were monitoring it pretty close. And what I saw, there may have been somebody who came off the backside of Chihaw, this side. To us, that's the backside. You, you know, it's different depending on where you live. But the backside of Chihaw, who hopped in the bed of a truck and rode it out and parked down here somewhere in Piedmont and jumped out. I don't know. But I know if somebody did some research and did some study and did some digging, they're not going to be claimed as the winner of that. They didn't do it right. We've got to do right what God says. And so he says right here, be strong. How are you going to be strong in the grace of the Lord? How are you going to be strong in the grace of the Lord? Because you're going to endure hardness as a good soldier. You're going to, in turn, you're going to uh, compete lawfully as a great sprinter. And then thirdly right here, he mentions the next one. Verse 6. For the husbandman that laboreth must first be a partaker in the fruits. Be a partaker of the fruits. The husbandman 
That to me is that sower, the farmer. The person who farms. I've got a good friend up the road. I've told you about some of you about him before. Some of you may live on the same uh, manner as far as farming and, and agriculture and stuff. Go. I'm not into that. I, don't, I, I appreciate it and I understand it, but I don't know a lot about it. He is a farmer's almanac guy. I mean, you can ask him right day, right now, today, and I don't know how often those things come out, but you can ask him right now, today. Uh, he's already planted, and he's already getting fruits out of that. But you can ask him right now, today, what's your plan for next year? And he'll say, well, on March, the, you know, I don't know the dates, but he'll give me a date, he'll give me a time, if it's raining, if it ain't. If the sun come up on, you know, come up behind the squirrel's head or, or the, uh, you know, and he knows, he knows everything he's going to do about it because he, he knows his work. He knows what his intentions are. And right here, he says to us, the husbandman that, and I've got this word underlined, laboreth. Now, some of you can definitely appreciate this. I've known, I've known farmers who had good character, who had poor character. Some were con artists. Some were... You know, some were uh, great, what we might call Christian people, and, and all matter. I ain't never met a lazy one. You know what a lazy farmer is? He lives in a suburb somewhere outside of some. So he ain't a farmer no more. You can't do that. Farmers are the guys who you get, you hear about them, you say, well, he's in the hospital. What happened? He fell off the tractor backwards, you know, because he was climbed up there trying to weld it while his son drove it. I don't know what all, but. Work, labor. And so what is being spoken of here? First of all, Paul says you need to go to war. You need to be ready to fight. And, and Timothy may be scratching his head and say, Whew, I've already been in quite a fight, but okay. You need to be strong and be ready to fight. Go to war. In the second place, he says you need to get, you need to get in, in that case, you need to get to moving forward. You need to complete this race. You need to run. You need to run lawfully. You need to follow the rules. And then he gets down here and says, look, at the end of the day, Timothy, what you had better do is get to work. And it's so easy as a, as a Christian, whether it be a smaller congregation or a larger or what I've been, I've, I've told it before, uh, that I preached in congregations of six and some of 600. Well, I beat that a few months ago. I preached in a congregation of three, and that included me. That was during the COVID, but I got, you know, come over, preach. I got there. It was me and two guys. That's it. Uh, the numbers have changed. But it doesn't matter, large, big, small, you know, whatever you want to call that. In any way you go about it, there's always a group of people. And I've been told statistically, you know, 3% of the people do 100% of the work. I don't know about all that. There's always a group of people, which I'm guilty of doing the same, they're holding a pew just as fine as anyone's ever held, but when it comes time to actually do something or work, they don't want to be a part of it. As a matter of fact, if you go back and, and study this out for yourself, the children of Israel come out of, come out of Egypt. They come out with Moses. They get handed over of Moses' death. They get handed over to Joshua. Joshua carries them on into the promised land, but as they get up there to the, to the final you know, uh, stage of that, one of the things that they have to do at that point is they have to fight. God's promised the land. They've already allotted the land. They've already dealt it out and said, this tribe gets this, this tribe gets that. They already know, you know, they've got their plots. It's been registered down at the courthouse. It's already known. But there was a whole group of people 
out of that, those tribes who said, you know what, we want the land, we want the promise, we want the gift, but we don't want to have to fight. We don't want to have to work. You know, that's the context, and you've heard this phrase used so many times out of context. That's the context where it was said about those people, be sure your sins will find you out. Because at the end of the day, when all this boils out in eternity and comes down through the strainer and the funnel and lands in the bowl of God, and in front of His judgment, God already understands who it was who did what He asked and who did the work of Him. Now, extremely quickly, it's amazing what a sticky note can do to poor folks sitting here trying to study together. But not only is there the command, there's the commencement. Because again, he doesn't leave him hanging. He gives him a pattern that he can follow. He tells him, you know, be a soldier, be a sprinter, be a sower, be a farmer. But then he comes down to telling him exactly how that is commenced, how that is made possible. We'll just read through these very quickly. Verse 8 again. He said, remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was, and I've got this word underlined, was raised from the dead according to my gospel. So the first thing that he uses as a proof, if you will, that we must be strong, a motivation to be strong, a commencement to be strong, he first of all talks about the work of God, particularly Christ. He said Christ was raised from the dead. So Timothy or whomever could say, you know what, I've heard the be strong stuff and, and I, I, know, I know what I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be that soldier, that sprinter, that sower. I understand that, but, but how and why? Because of the work of God, he died. That's, that's a good motivator. There have been a few occasions in some people's lives, unfortunate as it is, where someone ended up standing in between them and death and ended up losing their life for or in the place of someone else physically, just like Jesus did, albeit not for sins, not for spiritual things, but physically. People have lost their lives trying to defend someone else. A lot of times your husbands and wives and fathers and mothers and children, they'll have that relationship. You know, anybody, uh, I remember years ago, who all of you knows Ken Butterworth? You know, I know some of y'all do. Ken Butterworth said one time, I'll never forget it. It's, it's sad that I don't remember as much Bible about, I mean, there's plenty of Bible with Ken, don't get me wrong, but I remember this. He said, you come in my house, I'll beat you to death with a can of pork and beans if you touch my wife. That's, that's the way we live. God, because we were being attacked by Satan, he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll let my son die so you can live. That's the work. Number two, it's commenced by not only the work, but also the word. Keep up the reading there, verse 9. He said, wherein I suffer, I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto my bonds, but the, and I've got this underlined, the word of God is not bound. Now, he doesn't reveal as much here to Timothy as he does in the Philippian letter, which we're kind of trailing through over the next 25 or 30 years um, uh, when I'm able to be here. But Paul was imprisoned. Paul was in a position where many of the brethren in Philippi believed that because Paul was bound in prison, the gospel was bound also. 
And Paul spends a lot of time, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 through chapter 2, also chapter 1 and verse 13, he mentions it specifically that he was in bonds, Philippians 1 and 13, that he was in bonds. The gospel was not bound. It's the principle there, verse 27 of chapter 1 and such. Paul's telling them in that place, to the Philippians, you know, even if I'm bound, the gospel's not. He tells these people here, uh, to Timothy specifically, he tells Timothy that even though it may seem that the word of God is bound because I'm bound, he said, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even under bonds. I've been put in prison for this. I'm being treated like an evildoer for preaching. He said the word of God is not bound. Word of God doesn't change. So why can I be strong? Number one, because of the work of God. Jesus died. Why can I be strong? Number two, because of the word of God, because the Bible continues to live. The Word of God continues to live. Then verse 10 through 14, not to go through all of that, but also the ways of God. Verse 10, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is faithful. It is a faithful saying. If we be dead with Him, we shall also live with Him. So the pinnacle of the ways of Christ was he died so we could live. The next part of that, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him also, he also deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. So verse 11, 12, and 13 or what you would consider, and it says it in the language anyway, the if-then statements. If this is true, then this is the case. And every one of them point to one thing. Let me rephrase that. Every one of them point to one person, and that's Jesus. So what is the conclusion? You start with this command. The command is very simple. Be strong. Then you go with this commitment, verses 8 through 14. Be strong because God is stronger. That's the summary. You say, well, you should have said that 40 minutes ago. Maybe so. Be strong because God is stronger. You can close your Bibles, take out your songbooks to whatever was selected there. I always appreciate the opportunity to be able to come anywhere to preach, to teach, whatever you would consider that, to deliver a sermon. People call it a message. I used to be offended if somebody says that's a good message. I used to be offended by that, but I understand this, the message of God. Of course it's a message. But the biggest opportunity I have in life is not just to share that or to preach that or to help others with that that's that's huge but it's the fact that i get to get it myself i get to receive this myself and and the same words that paul writes to timothy even though i will not find james edward merle written in it he writes to me he writes to you and his encouragement as in this text is still the same be strong because god is stronger what was the access to that? Verse 1, we emphasize part of it. Be strong in the grace of God. That's the only way possible. To get in the good favor of God. 
Now, not that this is the end all of the understanding God by any means, but similar to I am a father to my children and God is a father to me. They can get in my good graces, quote unquote, that's a human quote, by doing as I ask. If Jesus were standing here today, he would say nothing different than what he ever said. He would say to us, except you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sin. He'd still say that. He'd say that a hundred times, unchangeable as he is, a thousand times. He would still say to us that we have to repent or perish. He'd say that over and over again, unchanging God he is. He would still say to us that we have to confess his name. Similar to what is said in the latter part of this thing here, by, written by Paul, inspired of God. You want to deny God, he can deny you. You want to accept God and have faith in him, he can have faith in you. Now what is it like for the God of heaven to believe in me? And it's important I believe in him, but what is it like to understand he believes in me? He, he wants the best from me. And if Jesus, you understand, obviously we're still here, Standing on this side of eternity in human form, he would still be saying the same thing about being baptized to be added to his church for the remission of sins. That's putting a few ideas together to receive the grace God offers. Somebody's afraid of grace, uh, grace and misunderstanding it? Yes. But to understand it is the opportunity God gives us to be saved and to do it according to his pattern. In his plan, I accept the grace that he offers. Why together we stand and sing the invitation is continue to be open.